0: You could uh, grab a seat and I'll uh, I'll begin. I'm just going to pray before I speak. God, I thank you that you are, you are supreme. I thank you, Lord, that you love us so deeply that you gave your son to die on a cross for us, to give us hope for now and hope for eternity. I thank you for your presence in this room today, Lord. And I pray you bless the rest of this service. I pray you speak through me, let it not be my words, but yours. And I pray that everyone leaving this, this building and the kids' um, church and the youth church, that everyone who leaves today leaves with a deeper sense of your love than when they came in. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So over the last few weeks, um, Neil has been going through the book of Colossians. And uh, he's been looking at what the the overall topic is. He did a kind of sort of meta-narrative, a bigger picture talk in the first week and then has gone into the detail as each week has gone by. And this week I'm going to be looking at Colossians 3 and a little bit of Colossians 4. But before we do that, we're going to play a game. So, um, can I get the first picture slide, please? So there's a camouflaged or conspicuous. Um, I'm going to do four of these. They get a bit harder as they go along. So, uh, can you spot the owl in that picture? It's a resounding yes, resounding yes. Okay, for those listening, there's an owl on a picture of lots of straw in the bottom right, quite camouflaged. Okay, let's go for the next one. It gets a little bit trickier as you go. Can you spot the lizard on that picture? A few yeses, a few silences. On a tree trunk, we've got a lizard pretty well camouflaged. Gets quite tricky now. Okay, let's get to the meat of it. Right. In this picture, there are two turnstone birds. Right? Can anyone spot two birds in that picture? I guarantee they are there. I didn't believe they were there until I looked at the solution to this. Look. There they are. If you don't believe me, go to the next slide, zooms in, there, see? Little birdie, amazingly camouflaged. So for those listening, these two birds are on a, a beach of pebbles and they are just incredibly camouflaged. Very hard to see. And the last one, where's Wally? You can't do this without where's Wally, right? So can anyone spot, give it a minute before we give the solution, anyone see where Wally is on that picture? Oh. Ross has got a hand up. On the far right. right. Yeah, let's see if that's the right answer. Next. Yay! Nice one, Ross. (laughs) Eagle eyes. There is a reason for this, by the way. It does somehow tie in. It's not just um, for fun. We'll come back to that later. Okay, so let's get into the Bible. By the way, eagle eyes, everyone. Well done. Um, We're going to read a big chunk of scripture, the whole of Colossians 3 and a little bit of Colossians 4. So it's going to come up on the screens. If you want to follow on your phone or in a real-life Bible, uh, please do. Just don't play games on your phone. That's uh, not to be encouraged. Um, But let's go with Colossians 3. Oh, just a precursor. I'm actually only going to be talking about the latter part in the beginning of Colossians 4, but it's good to give the context in these things. So that's why I'm reading the whole of Colossians 3. because of these things the wrath of God is coming you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived but now you must also rid yourself of all such all things as these anger rage malice slander and filthy language from your lips do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is the being which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands. Submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, parents, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. with what is right and fair, because you know that you have a master in heaven. And devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity, and let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now the background to this is that Paul is in prison. He's in house arrest in Rome. And the house arrest wasn't like um, a lot of prisons. In this one you could get visitors and they could stay for a while and Paul often had visitors from different churches that either he'd planted or other people had planted. And based on those visitors and what they told him, he'd write letters, which is where we get Corinthians, the letter to the church in Corinth, or we get Ephesians, the letter to the church in Ephesus, and we get this letter, the, church to, the letter to the church in Colossae, Colossians, and it's because Epaphras, who planted that church, came and visited him and told him all that was going on in this church and the ways in which they were drifting, and Paul would write these letters, and he would look at what was going on, and he would give his advice on how they could correct, they could come back to, to Jesus to the true message. And in particular in Colossae, what was going on was that they were doing something called syncretism, which is the way they were really absorbing the outside cultures. Colossae at the time was a city where lots of different cultures were mixing. It's kind of a uh, melting pot of different religions, different cultures, different beliefs. And as often happens, the church there became infused with some of the things around. So there was like angel worship people putting angels at the same level as gods. There was Jewish Gnosticism, and that's where you separate out the the spiritual and the physical and you look at the spiritual as holy and the physical as not worthy and in some ways evil. And there was paganism, which is worshipping other gods, often multiple gods. And the church was being influenced by this and they were taking on some of those beliefs. And Paul wrote to say, no, this is not how it goes. Jesus is the truth, he is Lord of all. He died and rose again for you. That's the truth you need to stand by, not these other ones. And when you realize he's on the throne and all that he's done for you and how much he loves you, then it will influence every part of your life, every single aspect. Our speech, our marriages, our families, our workplace, what we spend our money on, how we treat people, how we spend our time, everything. So, with all that in mind, I'm just going to read the short bit I'm going to be talking about again, rather than the whole passage, which is the tricky bit. (laughs) Wives, submit to your husbands, yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Parents, do not embitter your children or they will be discouraged. Slaves obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eyes is on you to curry favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now this is a tricky passage. I was speaking with Neil about um, preaching and he said, oh, that, I'm away that week. Oh, this one comes up. And I thought, hey, thanks very much. <laughs> Yay. wife submitting, slaves, marvelous. Um, but actually, uh, Neil spoke about a lot of these tricky passages a few weeks ago, bless him, on the 4th of June in the Vineyard DNA series. So he has deliberately touched on a load of really hard bits of Scripture. So, in specifically this passage, actually, about the slaves, about wives submitting to husbands, looking at what that means in the bigger picture of Scripture. So, um, he looks at whether or not Paul is endorsing slavery. Spoiler alert, he is not endorsing slavery. Um, And he looks at the bigger picture of marriage. And you know, read into this, look into this, but the, the conclusion Neil comes to and the conclusion I come to is that there's a bigger thing going on here about mutual submission and sacrificial love in marriage. But have a read, have a listen to that talk. Uh, he goes into a lot of the detail. I'm actually going to look at the bigger picture of what's going on in all of these, this, these scenarios. So families, marriage, and work. Thank you, Neil. Um, so that's the 4th of June, female DNA series, if you do want to listen to that. So the bigger picture I think Paul is trying to get to here is that through Christ, we can live differently. When we encounter God's love and realize the beauty and the majesty of Christ, our lives can't help but change. When we put our faith in him, when we deeply encounter Christ, everything changes. When we realize that we can only love because God first loved us, the Holy Spirit starts a deep work in our hearts. And those things that were important before, our own personal gripes and ambitions and things become less and less important as we just realize the full extent of all that Christ has done, all the ways in which he loves us. Ezekiel talks about giving us a new heart, replacing our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Paul, in a similar vein, talks about when we give ourselves fully to Christ, the fruits of the Spirit growing in us. The fruits of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness and self-control. By the way, if ever you want to learn that, I think I've said this before, but three have one syllable, three have two syllables, three have three syllables. Good way to learn it. Um, And Paul is saying that this change in our heart should be evident and clear to everyone around us. In this letter, he's saying that if we are truly washed with the Holy Spirit, when we are truly aware and given to him, aware of all that he's done for us, our lives will change by definition. And this will affect everything. And in this particular bit of scripture, he highlights marriage, the workplace, and parent-child relationships. One of the things Neil talks about in his, in his um, sermon on, in June was that the bit around slavery actually is quite comparable to the workplace now. Slavery then, in a lot of cases, was not what we think of it now. There were slaves who were doctors and civil servants, and so there's good grounds to compare it to the workplace now, which is some of what I'm going to do. Now, um, before I dive into this, I just want to point out one thing. When, you, when I prepare for um, preaching or teaching anything, I always tend to learn quite a lot you know, the time one spends reading around a subject, reading the Bible, praying, thinking about it, you learn things. But more specifically, when I preach, often the Holy Spirit will point things out in me. And in preparing this, the Holy Spirit has definitely highlighted a few things I need to work on. So am I the perfect father, the perfect husband, or son, or employee? Absolutely not. No, there are definitely areas I need to work on. And I wanted to point that out, to just say that as I'm talking, I'm speaking to me as much as I'm speaking to you. So I don't want to be standing on a pedestal here. Um, let's dive in. Marriage, work, and family. Okay, I think in all of these areas, it's easy towards, to tend towards this word syncretism, to be like everyone else. There's so much around us in what we watch, what we read, our friendships, YouTube, TikTok, whatever it might be. These things influence subconsciously the way we act. It's easy to pick up the speech, the culture around us, until eventually our lives become the same. They don't look any different to anyone else's. But Paul's saying that that shouldn't be the case. Our lives should and naturally will look different the more we encounter Christ, the more we realize the depths of his his love for us. So let's look at marriage. What does syncretism look like in marriage? How do we do something different? Well, as I said, I think when we watch TV, when we watch YouTube, when we read things, when we watch movies, speak with friends, these influences speak to us. I'm not saying those things are wrong, we just gotta be aware of what we're watching, aware of what we're absorbing and taking in. And there's loads of ways in which these things can influence us in our speech and our actions, in the way we talk to and about if we're married, our husbands and wives. And I think it often comes down to whether we put ourselves first. You know, there's a lot in the kind of speech I hear about living your best life. You do you. You know, is, it, is life really about living our best life, about us, about our own personal fulfillment? Which is a lot of what I read, a lot of what I see. I don't think that's what Jesus teaches. He teaches self-sacrificial love. And in a marriage, and I'll talk about this later, but in a marriage, there's a, it's meant to be a picture of Christ and the church, of sacrificing ourselves continually day after day for our spouse. So are we putting ourselves first or are we putting the other person first? I think there's a normality as well of how we speak to and about our other halves. And that often isn't kind. I hear a lot of people speaking about their other halves in not the loveliest ways. I also see it in the way people speak to their other halves, husbands to wives, wives to husbands, in not the kindest ways. And that can become a norm that we think, oh, it's normal to be like that. I'll be like that and I'll do the same in friendship groups, in public, wherever it might be, even on WhatsApp and, and social media. The other one, you know, these are these are more subconscious ones. Other ones that I think are becoming more normal: the desensitisation and normality of using pornography. I think that's a big one. You know, it's on phones; it's available; it's becoming more, more and more used because of the availability of it. Um, the stuff I read suggests that vast percentages of the population are looking at this stuff, and it's becoming a normal thing. But is that respectful and honoring to the husband or the wife? Is that honoring to the person on the screen? Is it seeing people as fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God? Are we committing adultery with our eyes? You know, there are lots of ways I think we can get absorbed into the culture around us and think things are normal until we take a step back and look at the Bible, hear what God has to say about these things. And this is compared to, and I'm sure we've all encountered this. And there's people in this room I know are like this. Couples where you just see the love and the tenderness in how they talk to each other, how they talk about each other. And when that happens, it stands out and it is stunning. I think about my grandparents, married for over 60 years, and the tenderness they had for each other was just beautiful. And I hold them up. as just I always have in my life. It's just that's that's just a stunning picture of marriage. I've got some really close friends who got married shortly after we did, um, 13 years ago. Yes. Um, and they, they hadn't known each other that long before they got married. They got married, what uh, was it, about March time, 2010. And they moved, they lived quite a long way away from each other. So uh, the wife of the couple moved to, to where the husband lived and as I said, a long way from where she was from. And in doing so, left her family, left her safety nets, all of that. And during those first few months of marriage, it was tricky, you know. From what I gather, it was a hard time, they argued a lot. And then my friend got home one day to find a note that his wife had flown back to where she came from, saying, I can't do this anymore, only a few months in. Now, a lot of people at this point probably would have said, Okay, this isn't gonna work. We're only a few months in, she's gone, that's that. But no, and, this is, and these people by the way are, have deep, um, deep love for Jesus. So they're driven, my friend was driven by his love for his wife and his faith and he said no, i married in sickness and in health and until death do us part. And he flew, left everything, quit his job, flew over to be with her and lived apart for about two years, persuaded her to do marriage counselling. That worked, they got back together. Then he lived where she came from, for another three years, five years away, having given up everything for her. And then, after five years, she gave up everything again for him and lived with him where he came from for another seven or eight years. And now they're kind of trying to work out where they're going to live. But they have an an adopted son, they have a beautiful marriage um, and they're deeply faithful people and they, you know, they talk about having to come back to prayer daily to get through that. And I hold that up again as another picture of completely dying to oneself for the other. And it's stunning when you see it. Okay, work, jobs. Being good employees and employers and that the word slavery is obviously in the passage, but I think if we move that just for now to employees and employers, then again, I think we can easily get sucked into the culture around us. Places I've worked, not where I work right now, uh, I have to say. Gossip is pretty normal. Complaining is pretty normal, about whether it be about the boss or the company or whatever aspect. So there's complaining, there's often treading on people to get to the top if you work in you know, kind of high-pressured environments. Doing the minimum maybe to get by, just to get the paycheck at the end of the month. And employers, bosses, managers, are we supporting our teams? Are we paying them enough to get by to live? Are we putting too much pressure on people? Are we taking ownership or are we humiliating them? There's lots of ways where the norms of where we work, of society, can just gradually change us until we take a step back and look at what the Bible says. And the thing is, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, people watch us. You know, you may not realize it, but they will hold us to a higher standard and they notice when we do things which are out of line with what they think, how they think we should act. So they'll also notice when we do loving things. There's a huge opportunity in the workplace Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. That means leading, That means doing our jobs and leading teams the best we can, sometimes despite how others are treating us or what the culture is like. Now, if we're in a terrible job, maybe you need to move jobs. Um, it might be time to find a new one. But until then, I think it means choosing to love our colleagues, to serve more than be served to be a source of encouragement not division to show integrity reliability and humility and when we work like this I guarantee people will notice they'll see that in our workplaces and they'll ask why why is this person acting differently maybe that's a good time for a conversation about why now families I think again it from my experience, it's pretty normal for, ki- for kids to complain about parents. And actually, more and more, I'm seeing parents to publicly complain about their kids. On WhatsApp groups I'm on, there's often a, oh, the kids are on holiday, big smiley face, tears, and a big frowny face and tears, and all that kind of stuff. And there's children, parents I know, close friends of mine, who will talk about their kids with quite derogatory terms to me. And that's the norm. That can easily suck in, kind of get drawn into our lives, the way we act. It's easy to blend in. In fact, it's easier to blend in than to stand out. To stand out, people notice you and they ask why. That can be hard. But I think when I think about families, there's obviously serving one another and not being served, whether you're a child or a parent or brother or sister. There's also something really strong as I was praying about this, about words. You know, Colossians, there's sort of parallel passages in Ephesians of of this Colossians section where it talks about living life in a godly way, and an ungodly way, and coming down to family. The difference in Colossians, it really singles out language and how we use our speech. Words have the power to destroy or build up, to calm or inflame, to belittle or to bring love. How we speak about our families, and of course how we treat them, is so important as a picture of how God loves us. People watch, people hear. Serving before being served. Speaking and acting with love. Kindness and gentleness. You know, A few years ago, Ruth and I were massively let down by a, a, some people in our family. And you want, we could have chosen to... Um, i quite bitter, actually, about what happened. But we chose to try and forgive and move on with that person. And it was hard because we were deeply hurt. And it took, to be honest, daily prayer. I don't think we could have done it. Maybe we could, but I don't think we could have done it by just gritting our teeth and pushing through. I honestly think it was only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we were able to forgive what had happened, move on. And actually now, the relationship we have with, with these people is, is stronger than it was. Somehow God's done that, I didn't expect that. But the power of the Holy Spirit came in and not only set it back to where it was, but made it stronger, made it deeper. And that's only through prayer and thanksgiving that, we, that we're able to do that. So these are some thoughts on marriages, work life, family life, there's loads more one could say. And how they can look the same as everyone else's, but God has a different picture. Leslie Newbegin, who was a bishop and theologian last century, he said this. If the gospel is to challenge the public life of society, it will not be by forming a Christian political party or by aggressive propaganda campaigns. It will only be by the movements that begin within the local congregation in which the reality of the new creation is present, known, and experienced, and from which men and women will go into every sector of public life as a sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace for the whole life of society. Let me say that last bit again. Men and women will go into every sector of public life, jobs, marriage, friendships, families, as a sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace for the whole life of society. That's a strong statement, and it's a wonderful picture. And the biblical foundation is really strong for this. And I just for a moment want to pick out marriage. I know not everyone in this room is, is married, so I'm going to speak about the other bits, but there's a lot, the Bible says a lot about marriage as a picture of Christ's love for the church. Hosea 2 talks about the new heavens and a new earth. And it says, at that point, I, the Lord, will betroth you to me forever. Betroth means marry, pull together in un- unity I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Ephesians 5, talking again about marriage and the symbolic nature of it. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 says, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as the Christ is the head of the church. His body, of which we are the of which he is the savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit to husbands in everything husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church and gave himself up to her up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in this same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of one body, his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. As I said, marriage is a sign and a foretaste of God's love for us and what it will be like in his kingdom. Now there's a debate over the submission point. Please listen to Neil's talk, read about it. There's heaps of very clever people who've written some some good stuff to learn on that. But when I look at scripture, I think the picture really, as I said, is of something much bigger than that one point. It's about sacrificial love for one another, and that carries through. You know, that's marriage, absolutely, but it's in friendships and all aspects of life, living sacrificially for the other, but in particular in this point in marriage. Every day being aware of the other's needs, often putting them above our own. And in this, providing a small picture of the cross, dying to oneself for the other. Jesus giving his very life for his friends. And as I said, when you see a marriage like this, like those friends, like my grandparents, it shines out, it is beautiful. But this isn't just marriage, it's every aspect. Jobs, families, friendships. You know, Servant leadership of different managers I've had. Uh, there were a few of us away on a, on a leaders weekend last weekend. And I, one morning, happened to wake up early. I couldn't sleep. It takes me a few nights to get used to a new bed. So I was up at silly o'clock, probably at half, five, six o'clock. Got up and I heard some rattling going on around. And I realized Neil and Kate were already up preparing stuff for breakfast, before anyone else, serving. And that just struck me as just the power of their heart for us and their servant leadership. And then another example I've got in my previous job, I had a a boss called David. Uh, He, so I was working in finance, I was an accountant. Um, I had a team of people and we had messed up. I was in kind of, Look at forecasting and budgeting and all that fun stuff. And we'd done something, we made an error on a spreadsheet. Now, I was in the meeting with the kind of board members and my boss, David, was the finance director. And someone realized this mistake, and my boss, David, took full ownership. He didn't mention my name, my team's name, anything. He just said, no, it's my fault, that's in his fault. And he got quite hammering for it, actually. And that is not often the case. Often people would defer and say, "Oh yeah, Alex, why did that happen? What did your team do wrong?" But he took it all. He took the blame. Now behind closed doors, different things happened. He had a bit of a word with me, but um, but in that moment, he took it. He took on the blame for that. And he again, you know, this was a Christian organisation. I know the depth of his faith, and he shone that out in that small way, actually. So in the workplace. We have opportunities to show something different a different way, to butt against culture and not be the same. Now, as I kind of begin to draw towards a close, uh, one of the things I'm really aware of is the power of a talk like this to induce feelings of guilt or shame, or leaving us way more burdened, leaving them when we came in. And that is not my intention. The Bible is really clear on this. Jesus did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Now, there's definitely a place for the Holy Spirit poking us and, and highlighting stuff in our lives that might need improvement, but not to feel a huge burden. But instead, to replace that with faith that the Holy Spirit can help us and change us and make us more holy, make us more sanctified. And with his help and with prayer and thanksgiving, this will happen. You know, trying to be better, trying to uh, live a more joyful or patient or self-controlled life. We can probably do some of that ourselves, but it's really hard. It's a bit like a New Year's resolution, I think. You know, we try for a while, but my experience personally, it doesn't last that long or we begin to kind of taper off. I think really it's with God's help that we can do this well. And the process of sanctification, the process of becoming more holy and more like Jesus happens when we really push into worship, thanksgiving, reading our Bibles, when we encounter Jesus daily, when we walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. You know, Paul picks up on a, a pattern of this in several of his books in Ephesians six eighteen. I said there were some parallel passages. He starts with this similar framework of how to, what it's like to live in a um, life without God and and then with God, what our life should look like. And he ends with, or he moves on to, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And in Colossians, he does a similar thing. He, He has that pattern and then he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. It's through prayer, thankfulness, engaging with Jesus that he will gradually change our hearts from stone to flesh. You know, when we do this, when we encounter again and again the beauty of the cross, the love Jesus has for us shown through his death and resurrection to give us hope for now and eternity. When we do this, we change. And we love because he first loved us. And from that place, we'll be gifted new hearts and bestowed with the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. Christ's love is the fuel that will enable us to truly love our neighbors as ourselves. 2 Peter 1 tells us that God's divine power will give us everything we need for a godly life. We, the church, the gathered body of believers, are the hope of the world. It's easy to become camouflaged like those pictures at the beginning, blending into the background. But we have something different to say. We have a different way to live and something different to show. A different way of doing life. If the band could come up on... About to finish. Um, Colossians 1.27 tells us that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And this is the truth. The light that people need to see in us is this truth. So individually, let's let our light shine. The Bible talks about us being like lamps. Let it shine into our friendships, into our families, our workplaces, our marriages. And then when we come together as church, Let's let our light shine and come together like a city on a hill for the whole world to see. Now we're going to have a bit of space now. Manny talked when he was worshipping about uh, leaving some space for God.